Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. What's your thoughts on government cover-ups or covert societies attempting to control humanity? Do you believe in ancient astronauts, intergalactic communication, or extraterrestrial visitations? Ever had an experience with disembodied spirits or the paranormal universe? Are these subjects fact or fiction? Each week, Tony and Eddie explore these unbelievable realities and beyond. Exclusively on Truth Be Told. Welcome to Truth Be Told with Tony and Eddie, where we believe an experience becomes truth. I'm your host, Tony Sweet, and joining me now in studio is world-renowned psychic Eddie Connor. Today we have two amazing authors that have come together to reveal how a secret sect of powerful Venus families with a lineage tracing all the way back to the Eleusian Mysteries have shaped the history of the United States since its founding. Very interesting. And we have Janet Walter and Alan Butler in studio with us. Janet is a historical investigator, and Alan Butler is a recognized expert in ancient cosmology and astronomy. But, Eddie, I have a question for you. Yes. Did you know that nearly every city in the U.S. has a temple to the goddess hidden in plain sight? I did not know that. To find out more about that, please welcome the authors of America, Nation of the Goddess, Janet Walter and Alan Butler. Thank you, guys. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. We are so excited to have you in studio with us. They're not in studio, but I was, you know, it was my wishful thinking. Uh, <laughs> but we are excited to have you here because this is a subject that we are very interested here on Truth Be Told. Um, I we had a couple of Freemasons, actual Freemasons, on our show before, and uh, so we're going to dive into this through, you know, there's a lot of connections with the Freemasons and, and Knights of Templar. So first of all, Janet and Alan, I want to know how you met because uh, it's, there's always that interesting how people work together. Yeah. <laughs> well, we met through my husband, actually, Scott Walter, who uh, did America Unearthed for History Channel. And Scott met Alan first as a guest on his show. 
Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. I, in fact, I remember I remember Alan on that episode. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I saw him and I'm like, I knew I knew him from somewhere. <laughs> so, well, meeting on the show is one thing, but what what started the talking? What started the conversation of, of saying, you know, let's work together? What, what started that conversation? Well, you know, we, uh, we had a lot in common, and what brought us together in the first place was really, like you said, this whole discussion about Knights Templar and Freemasonry, and Alan is a, an expert in that, and Scott and I had both read his books about that, and that's why he became a guest on the show, because we wanted his, his feedback on some things that were pertinent to some of the episodes on the show, and he's been on a few times, but that's what got us talking. And we found that we are very much in the same genre and same interests regarding all this research. And I think Alan will tell you that he was fascinated to learn that the story that about the, the Templars and Freemasons that he has always studied over in Europe, he was very surprised to learn that Scott and I found that that story actually continued over here in oh. North America. Wow. Yeah, Scott, or, I mean, uh, Alan, tell us tell us about that. Yeah. Tell us how the story actually kind of came over the waters. Okay. Well, um, my real interest uh, at that time was associated not only with the Knights Templar, but with um, a group from which they came, which was a group of monks known as the Cistercians, they still exist as a monastic institution, though rather different than they were. And they started in the 1100s, hmm. and it wasn't too long before uh, they uh, came from Champagne, incidentally, in France, and um, they spawned a, a sister order called the Knights Templar. And the Knights Templar were uh, initially a fighting order. They were helping out in the Crusades uh, in the Middle East, um, but they were great travellers, and they were also um, great financiers. They mm. were extremely rich. Um, but most of all, they traded. They traded, and uh, it turned out that they traded around the world. And I thought for a long time, as did Janet and Scott, that this business about nobody visiting America until Christopher Columbus came along was just so much bunkum, really. Um, <laughs> right. I, was, I was famous on Scott's show for having said, Every man and his dog had been to the United States. <laughs> um, and one of the groups that went there, and I already knew this, was the Knights Templar. But I didn't understand at that time uh, just um, how significant their journeys to North America had been. Um, and chatted a lot with Scott about this. And then eventually um, got to know Janet. And uh, it all began, really, our association because of one single word, and that word was Grange. Grange. Well, I, I heard this, that you speak about this in another interview I listened, that both of you on, and I, I honestly, I have never heard that before. And could you explain, both of you, what Grange, Granger movement is? Jana, explain the American Grange. All right. Well, uh, I first heard about it when I was... Yeah, you know, when I was reading Laura Ingalls Wilder's books and, and oh. watching the, the show Little House on the Prairie, and they talk about the movement there, which was an organization for farmers. And what I thought it was really was sort of a union for farmers back in the 1800s that came about after the Civil War. But it was much, much more than that. It was actually 
something that was came about because the the man that started it, Oliver Hudson Kelly, who had a farm here in Minnesota, originally from Boston, was hired by the Department of Agriculture to go down into the southern states and do a survey of the farms down there and the farm families and get get an assessment of their condition. And he was shocked to see the condition. It mm. was so sad and so deplorable. These families were really suffering. And he was motivated, along with several of his um, associates, a group of seven men and one woman, who decided they wanted to do something for these farm families and bring them together and restore their sense of occupational pride. Hmm. Because in reality, they were they were providing food now for the whole country. They were trying to bring all the farmers together because we needed to get food into the cities for all the factories that were revving up at that time. So that was sort of the practical aspect of it. But then when Alan and I began looking into the Grange, we discovered something quite amazing about what's part of their their rituals and what they come from. Alan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, the reason that uh, my ears pricked up when uh, this word Grange in the American context happened to come up in conversation between Janet and I was because the Grange meant something quite different to me, or we thought it was different at first. Um, going back to uh, that group of monks I was talking about, the Cistercians, they were quite revolutionary and different than other monks. Most monks in Europe until that time had supported themselves by um, by getting money from the public and from rich benefactors. The Cistercians were different in that they supported themselves. They were tremendous farmers. That's really what they did. They farmed for God. Um, they would have a central abbey in any particular place, and then they would be given uh, donated land in areas around the abbey, but not always uh, quite in the same place. And they would set up remote farms, and these farms were called granges. And the word grange still exists um, in England uh, in association with um, the farms that these monks used to have. I, for example, lived in the city of Leeds, which is in the north and centre uh, of England, and I went to school at a school called Moorgrange, which was on the site of a grange that the Cistercians had had. Now... It seemed that although there couldn't be any connection whatsoever between Cistercian Granges and the Grange that Janet was talking about, that there are very defined connections, not least of all in terms of the way the two organisations uh, ran themselves. Uh, if we talk about the monks just for a moment, sure. they were entirely democratic uh, in an age which wasn't democratic at all. Uh, there would be uh, one abbot in each abbey and that abbot would be elected by all of the monks coming together in, in an open um, election and once a year the abbot of each abbey would go to the headquarters of the Cistercians which was um, in France um, and the whole thing was utterly democratic from beginning to end and it turned out that the Grange organization in America was run in more or less the same way um, people would join the Grange at their local uh, town, uh, at the Grange Hall there, and one of them would be elected from within their own midst, who would go to state level, and then from the state level, 
um, representatives would be sent to the national level in Washington, D.C. And it just seemed to be really strange that mm. these two different organisations, divided by time and um, divided by inclination, were nevertheless associated in other ways. And what really intrigued us was that we knew that the Grange in America, the Grange organisation, was run on Freemasonic lines. So we came to another connection in a way because um, we just talked about the Knights Templar. They had Granges, the same as the Cistercians did. Um, and they were very closely associated with having gone to America early. And the Templars are also associated with Freemasonry. So we found all these connections that eventually came full circle and pointed us to all parts of the United States, but in particular to Washington, D.C., um, I should explain very, very briefly that the reason this all came about was because of a place in Ireland called Newgrange. Hmm. Newgrange is an extremely ancient uh, megalithic site in Southern Ireland. It's um, a chambered tomb that goes back to about 3,500 BC. And it intrigued us. Scott and I had gone there to film. And it intrigued us that it was actually called Newgrange. And we discovered eventually that it was one of the granges of the Cistercian Monastery in Ireland called Melifont, and we knew that that particular abbey had been set up at the specific request of the guy who was running the Cistercian Order early on and who also devised the Templar Order, uh, a man called St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Um, they'd had one of their farms on this really ancient land, and it appeared that they'd dug into this tomb, uh, and when we spread our net, we found out that Cistercians were often associated with land on which extremely ancient monuments sat. Wow, I I'm baffled. It's I mean, like this a is great. giant puzzle. Yeah, I'm I'm showing pictures as you're talking, also, and I'm I'm showing to our audience. That is huge, uh, and I could see. And when, when was this built? Uh, Three thousand five hundred BC. Holy crap! That's a that's a long time ago. Wow, uh, it, it's a truly amazing place to go to. Yeah, I've I would love. To, I've always wanted to go to Ireland, and uh, and that's one thing. Now I'm going to put on yeah, my list. Me to go. too. On the, the bucket list. And so, what was the energy like? I'm I'm the sort of woo woo person. That's part of the Tony and Eddie. I'm the woo woo paranormal kind of lover. What was the energy like there when you gentlemen were there? It's extremely powerful. Hmm. Wow. I mean, I mean, it, it, it's stand, hair standing up on your neck, powerful. That's that's the feeling you kind of get just from looking at what Tony's pulling up for you guys. Absolutely. Of course, you, you're allowed to go in, you see. Oh. And it's a long passageway, which leads to a chamber at the far end. And uh, at one time, um, they think that um, the bones of the dead were sometimes stored there. But it wasn't predominantly um, a cemetery, um, bones seem to have been taken in and out at different times, probably for different ceremonies. And this particular one that you're looking at, uh, Newgrange, is one of uh, quite a few uh, which exist across the, the United Kingdom and also in parts mm. of France and clearly had something to do with the religious beliefs of these people so long ago. And we know that one of the important things about the megalithic people, that, that's what we call the people who built these kind of structures, that they were very committed to the great goddess, to uh, a female uh, entity who started to take a much more backseat position in religion 
once the main religions that we know about today, such as Christianity and Islam, once they came about, then the goddess tended to be marginalized. But it seemed to us, from what the Cistercians were doing, and from what eventually happened at the Grange movement in America, that, that somebody was trying to get the balance right between the god and the goddess. And it absolutely stunned us, and that's really where our efforts started. Well, no, go ahead, Nick. No, is this a good segue or not? You guys, if I'm jumping too far ahead, just pull me back and say, you need to set back, Eddie, <laughs> and I will. Um, so in the bio that we were reading at the top of the show, uh, we're talking about the two of you coming together to reveal how a secret sect of influential Venus families uh, with the lineage that goes all the way back to the Eleusian mystery. So it's two questions. Is it too early now to explain to Tony's audience what the Venus families are and a little bit about the Eleusian mysteries? Well, there's a very beautiful lady in Minnesota who can tell you all about that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I guess that would be Janet. <laughs> You're so sweet, Alan. Uh, well, I will speak to the Venus families because that is what we named this group of people who we believe this this continuation that goes back so many hundreds and not and if not thousands of years for these people who were trying to keep this balance going between the masculine and the feminine godhead and we think that that was very important to them and as alan mentioned once we got into more modern times well not even modern back in the time of the romans things got tipped way out of balance into a park patriarchal sense mm -hmm. and we lost touch with the goddess so to speak so I think what was happening is what we call these Venus families is that they were emphasizing the feminine, the sacred feminine, in order to restore balance. And that is a theme that we have seen over and over again. And I'll let Alan tell you how it relates to the Eleusian Mysteries. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. The, with the, with the reason, first of all, that we call them the Venus families is because wherever we see them appearing in history... Um, Venus as a planet and as a goddess um, is always very significant and very important to them. We'll tell you more about that later with regard to places like Washington, D.C. Mm -hmm. But that's how we recognize them. But they don't always appear to follow a, a straight course throughout history. In fact, I once coined the phrase, they appear like a golden thread through the tapestry of time you see the Venus families and then they disappear and then they appear somewhere else. But the greatest manifestation in uh, in the modern era, if you can call it the modern era, was uh, in the 11th and 12th century when um, uh, a number of um, aristocrats in Champagne in France suddenly became extremely powerful. They instigated the First Crusade um, there's a strong indication that what they wanted more than anything else at that time was to get into Jerusalem, which at that time was in other hands. Um, so they moved heaven and earth to get themselves a pope, and uh, the pope called for a crusade, uh, and then they went off to the Holy Land. But we also know that these individuals have been on the go for a very, very long time, or at least they look back a very long time to this megalithic period and also to the time in ancient Greece when the goddess was 
specifically important. Um, people used to flock to a place called Eleusis, which is not far from Athens, uh, and they did this for upwards of a thousand years. Oh. Uh, and the year, the ceremony there dedicated to the goddess Demeter. Oh. And we know um, from the beginning of our story, right up until modern times, that this vision of this goddess Demeter has proved to be very important <coughs> and was one of the motivating factors for the creation of Washington, D.C. Now, all of this sounds absolutely absurd because we're talking about a time period which extends back, as we said, to 3,500 B.C., but there are manifestations of Demeter and of um, her religion, which was called a mystery religion, mm -hmm. which still occur in the world today. But on the way through history, the people we call the Venus families had to be very, very careful. If you lived in the 11th or 12th centuries, and in fact right up until really, until the 15th, 16th centuries, um, if anybody knew that you showed a special reverence for a, a female quality within the deity, you stood a good chance of being burned at the stake. Yep. Wow. Which is why these people always kept a fairly low profile. And it seemed to Janet and I, and still seems, that this tendency to stay in the background but yet have tremendous influence has been maintained up until the present day. Right, Janet? Yes, absolutely. We, we've seen amazing things, and even within the Grange organization that we talked about, their highest degree, which is the seventh degree, which is um, that you would receive at the national level, is called the series or Demeter degree. Hmm. So and it has, and, has a great deal in common. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's an agricultural society and Demeter was the goddess of agriculture. So uh, the harvest. Right. And I want to, I want to go back to something you said, Janet, because you said the, they were uh, the, the masculine and feminine, they were trying to balance. And I remember having a Freemason on before and, and, and he pretty much went through the history of the Freemasons from Knights Templar to the Freemasons. And they were in a lot of times, it, you know, it's with the Mary Magdalene, uh, where the balance got thrown off for quite a few years. And even to, the, to this day, they've kind of more masculine or trying to get back a little bit more of the feminine part of that. Is, is there a similarity to you or Janet or Alan with with the with the Mary Magdalene with the Freemasons and the Knights Templar uh, with what you're talking about? Oh yeah, definitely. It, yes. We we probably have a situation here where at least some of the people who are members of these Venus families mm -hmm. go back to what was discussed in the whole Da Vinci Code book, which was about the bloodline that right. goes back to Jesus and Mary Magdalene. So they are definitely part of that thread. Yeah, I mean, just it popped in my head. It, it kind of reminded me what, they, what we talked about before with the guest before. Well, and in a lot of circles of metaphysics, spirituality, New Age, that sort of thing, they've talked about how for the last 2,000 years it's been predominantly male, a predominantly male-motivated, dominated world. And that yep. we're now shifting back to the next 2,000 years, they say, is going to be uh, going back into the feminine for the next 2,000 years. Mm -hmm. What do you guys think about that? This, this seems to have been uh, a clear motivating um, 
uh, signal from the Venus families. This is really what they're after. I'm not so sure from what we know about the Venus families that they would necessarily suggest that we're going to go through a prolonged period uh, devoted specifically to the goddess because the one thing that Janet and I definitely seem to have discovered is that what they're really after is putting the goddess back where she belongs alongside the god. Mm -hmm. There's a long tradition with the Venus families of worshipping the earth as the goddess yes. and worshipping the sky and in particular the sun as the god. And as we will see, particularly in Washington, D.C., uh, this is a motivation which still exists. So what they really seem to be after is balance rather than either gender being in the ascendancy. Wow. So it's uh, so that's definitely the theme here. It's so I love you know what I love about this conversation with both of you is it's not like it's got to be about the Venus the feminine. It's <laughs> both of you are very grounded and factual and scientific, but you both have really great hearts and good energy and you're both obviously tapped into that energy and it's bringing it back into balance so that it's for the right. well-being of the whole planet and the beings on the planet at the same time. And we appreciate that, you guys. Thank you for that. Yes, thank you. That you described it well. I think described us well. Yeah. Well, what we're going to do, and don't we don't go anywhere. We we're going to just take a one minute break because we have a, a sponsor that we have to to run real quick. So that'll get you a sip of water if you need it. But uh, for people listening, we have an, a, these amazing guests on on the Skype from one from Minnesota, one from the UK, Janet Walter and uh, Alan, Alan Butler. Butler. They are we're talking about their book, uh, America, Nation of the Goddess, uh, the Venus Family, and the Founding of the United States. We have so much more to talk about. Uh, this is so fascinating to Eddie and I. We, we love this stuff. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Truth Be Told with Tony and Eddie. I'm Tony Sweet. I'm Eddie Connor. And we're going to be right back. Don't go anywhere. Do you suffer from anxiety, from depression, maybe even chronic pain? Well, listen up. Truth Be Told is going to tell you about a breakthrough program built on over 100 years of therapies used in America's returning veterans to help you successfully overcome PTSD, anxiety attacks, pain, and depression. The secret proven in study after study. Music therapy. The effects of music are nothing short of amazing. From strokes to PTSD, music has been shown to improve the quality of life. Now one of the latest music therapy programs being used in America's veteran hospitals can be yours to experience for free at home and to help your own anxiety attacks, pain, and depression. Or just relax after a hard day. It's called Whole Tones. It takes music therapy to a new level. This revolutionary program makes use of specifically designed frequencies that have been shown to stimulate your body's natural healing power down to a cellular level. If it works for battle-scarred vets, can it work for you? Well, experience it for yourself for free at SweetWholeTones.com. Like Tony Sweet, that's S-W-E-E-T. Go to SweetWholeTones.com. Now enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Truth Be Told with Tony and Eddie. I'm Eddie Connor. And I'm Tony Sweet. And we have with us from Minnesota and across the pond, we also have Alan Butler and we have Janet Walter with us. You can learn more about this great conversation by going to the website nationofthegoddess.com. Their book is called America, Nation of the Goddess. And Something that struck me <laughs> before we went to commercial break earlier, you were speaking about the goddess Demeter. And I think I'm saying it slightly right and slightly wrong, Demita. <laughs> you want me to tell you some uh, a fun fact, Alan and Janet? Are you ready for this? Yeah. Yeah. Ask me what Janet Jackson's middle name is. 
What is Janet Jackson's middle name? Demita Joe. Really? What? It is Demita, and she's a Southern girl. Her mother's a Southern girl from Georgia. So yeah, I love, isn't that love interesting? It. There could be a little connection there. I'm just saying. <laughs> like oh, it. It's not. It's not out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> now I know Tony had a, a question for you too, but I couldn't stand it. I was about to bust over here That's with my okay, Janet Eddie. Jackson control. Oh, he. <laughs> you mentioned Janet or Beyonce. It's over. Uh, so, uh, so you mentioned uh, some influential families that shaped the United States. Is there is there some names of these some of these families that uh, help shape the United States um, that we may or may not know? Or that we can talk about or not talk yeah. about? <laughs> no, some yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we have to remember that um, uh, of necessity, uh, as we mentioned before the break, uh, these people uh, that we call the Venus families have always been very careful to protect their anonymity. Mm. So until they start to emerge in the United States at its very infancy, at its very birth. Uh, we don't always know who these people are. There are certainly British names like uh, St. Clair or Sinclair, which occur time and time again. Um, but Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Really, we find them uh, appearing in a truly visual sense at the start of the United States and a lot of the founding fathers uh, of uh, what is now the United States seem to have been involved and we're talking here about people like Thomas Jefferson, uh, we're talking about George Washington, probably talking about Adams, um, but Ben Franklin, Ben Franklin, yeah, but the instigating factors from this side of the pond also include people like Francis Bacon who was a a very significant man about town in London in Elizabethan times, and he seems to have been a strong motivating force as well. Wow. I can really appreciate the fact that they want the anonymity so they can continue to do the work and the magic that they're doing, because unfortunately, a lot of times when people don't have the anonymity or the privacy, it ends up getting sidetracked by a bunch of little booger heads. <laughs> yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, I mean, obviously, in the, in the initial stages, anonymity meant staying alive because it was very dangerous yeah. right. to wander away from orthodoxy in terms of religion. Um, we get the impression now with the Venus families that although that kind of pressure doesn't exist anymore... Um, they're not really into putting their own individual names forward. They're, they have a very democratic view, uh, and so they try to keep it straight and level in that sense. But 
there's a good sense of humor behind all this as well, wouldn't you say, Janet? A good sense of humor, yes, yes. Um, they I'm do not all sure sorts of things, yeah. I'm not they do sure all sorts of things that are hidden in plain sight. <laughs> oh, true. Is that they like you get... things in plain sight? Yeah. For example, uh, just before we started and went live, we were asking the two of you uh, what some of the things are that the two of you have discovered that are just sort of mind blowing. And you gave us a titillating tip, I might add, uh, something about Washington, D.C. Is this a good time to ask you about that? Oh, I think it's the perfect time. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that uh, we discovered early on about Washington, D.C., and in fact, I'd been working on this uh, before Janet and I got together uh, in a professional sense, uh, is that <laughs> we knew that Washington, D.C. was a, a planned city. You could call it almost a, a new city because it was designed from scratch, which not many cities in Europe were. But um, I had come across, together with a guy called Christopher Knight, a really, really ancient measuring system, uh, which included a unit of measurement called the megalithic yard. And this is 2.722 feet in length. Now, it's a long story, and it encompassed three books. But basically speaking, it appears that in Europe, uh, as far back as 3,500, 4,000 BC, uh, a whole system of geometry and mathematics had developed, which by 2000 BC seemed to have disappeared. It, it didn't show itself in the historical context anymore. Um, but we came across a city in the south of England called Bath. And Bath is a very beautiful city, and much of it was built at almost the same time as Washington, D.C. And within that city of Bath, we found our units of measurement, the megalithic yard. And it was down to a guy called John Wood. Um, John Wood was a Freemason. He was a member of the ancient order uh, of Druids. He was also an architect, and he mm. had a few buildings. And one in particular, King Sir, was built around this unit, megalithic yard. But he was quite young, um, and Chris and I were looking for other places where Freemasons may have been involved around that time, where the megalithic yard might have been used. And that is how we came to look at Washington, D.C., because we knew it was planned and built first at that time. And when we turned our attention towards it one Monday morning, quite a few years ago, we found very quickly that the megalithic yard was all over Washington, D.C., that opened a door, and it's a door that Janet and I walked into, and she will tell you about some of the things that the Venus families have done in Washington, D.C. Please do. Yeah. Well, one of the things we noticed was if you look on Google Earth at Washington, D.C., and if it's a sunny day it, when the photo was captured, you'll notice that the Washington Monument has a very pronounced shadow. I mean, it's a huge structure. It's 555 feet tall. Right. And there's nothing taller by law in D.C. And that shadow, we discovered, actually points to things. It touches certain things around the National Mall on mm. certain significant days. Wow. And we were astounded to realize that. And it started with Constitution Day, which is September 17th, which is also related to the Eleusian Mysteries. Wow. 
So wow. did our founding fathers pick September 17th because of that? We think so. Now, they waited to sign it. Now, I wonder what the ast- astrological and the uh, obviously the other aspects of it, too, for back in that date at that time, why they picked that. There's got to be all of that non-physical component in with the actual earthly component, don't you guys think? Oh, yes. absolutely. Uh, it was on September the 17th when devotees of Demeter would gather in Athens and would walk the few miles to this place called Eleusis and where new members would be instigated into the mysteries. Um, it was a time of personal rebirth, if you like, um, wow. because they used to go on a, a, a ritual and an actual journey around this huge temple in Eleusis. And uh, we don't know much about it because um, you, were, you swore on pain of death not to reveal what happened during the mystery. But one thing we do know is people went in one end as a certain type of person and came out of the other end as an entirely different person. And this was going on for nearly a thousand years. So September the 17th was very significant. And we found it amazing that this was the date which had been chosen to sign the American Constitution. Mm. And it didn't need to be that day because uh, the Congress that brought it about had been in session for a number of months and a lot of them were uh, in Philadelphia kicking the heels, wanting to know why this document wasn't being signed. Uh, And then come September the 17th, it was signed. So it appeared that they were looking for a particular date because if you think about it, the American Constitution made the United States into a real place. Mm-hmm. You can't have a country until you've got a constitution. So it was the death of the old and the birth of the new, just the same as what happened at Eleusis. When right, and I, and I don't think I mentioned that the shadow of the Washington Monument goes right up the steps of the U.S. Capitol and touches its front door on that day. Whoa! <laughs> And the only other day it does that is in March, and that's a day which is also associated with Eleusis and with uh, a belief in an ancient god called Attis. Um, So they managed to... The thing is, you see, from a physical point of view, they managed to build an entire city orientated towards these things. Uh, In order for the Washington Monument to work, the city had to be an east-west city, it had to be dedicated, if you like, to the stars already. Yes. Uh, and then this fantastic machine came along. Um, Janet needs to tell you about something which will really fascinate you, which happens in December. Oh, okay, let's right, do it. All right, let's do it. I'm all ready. right, well, you know in December, that's when the days are at their, at their shortest, right? Right. Yes. So on December 21st is the winter solstice. Right. When it's the shortest, darkest day of the year, which I always like to remind my husband because that's his birthday. Oh, <laughs> 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 and uh, yeah. So anyway, what we discovered is that that is also the day where the shadow can, of the monument can reach its furthest point north. And it's, it's a short shadow, but it touches, it actually penetrates the very bottom edge of something called the ellipse. And the ellipse is a large, open, grassy area that's south of the White House. And it's sort of an egg shape or an oval shape, elliptical. And the, the shadow 
of the monument just touches and goes inside that southern border of the ellipse on the winter solstice. Mm. Now, does that mean anything allegorically? We think so. Is this the egg of the goddess, the earth, Mother Earth, being fertilized by the sun on that day? Because that's the day the sun begins to return again. The, the, Does this make sense I, to no, you guys? It totally does. It's like freaky, wonderful. Well, I, can, can I ask I you something? A few years ago, um, Janet and Scott were in Washington, D.C., specifically, right. so that we could test our theories because we tried to stay with information that can be verified. And we knew that this was astronomical and we could work it out on paper what the shadow would do. But we didn't know absolutely for certain that that very point of that shadow would penetrate the ellipse only on that day. Janet and Scott were in Washington on that day. I couldn't be there. I was sitting at my desk here in the United Kingdom. And it has to go down as probably the most exciting day of my life. Oh. Right, Janet? Right. And your wife, Kate, has told me you were like a cat on a hot tin roof <laughs> <laughs> waiting to hear from us. Tell them what happened, Janet. Yes, it was amazing. Um, we were so excited. Alan had told us, he, he, Alan is really the astronomer of, of the pair of us here, mm-hmm. and he was using sophisticated software equipment to test where the shadow was heading on any given day. So he told me what time to be there, and we were slightly ahead of the solstice by a couple of days, and I knew where the shadow should be in relation to the ellipse, which was in a parking lot. And we got there about 11 a.m., which was the time it was supposed to be there, and it was a partly cloudy day, and we couldn't see the shadow very well on the ground. It was difficult. But I also knew, thanks to Alan, that if I was standing in the right place, it would appear that the sun was sitting on top of the monument. Oh, wow. It was so Amazing, because the, the partly cloudiness of the sky made the disk of the sun look like the moon through the clouds. And I could That's see crazy. it sitting up there. And we have a fantastic picture of it in our book. Oh, and, I and we I were pulled that. Yeah, I would have loved to have shown that. We were um, just jumping up and down when, <laughs> it, when the, the, the shadow was in the right place in relation to the ellipse for that date and time. And we sent a picture of it, the sun on top of the monument to Alan. And then I turned around and I took another picture with my phone of where I was in relation to the ellipse. And I sent him that. And I could practically hear the whoops and hollers from all the <laughs> Well, I, I have a question for you guys. We're talking about Washington, D.C., but before Washington, D.C. was Washington, D.C., we had other capitals in America. Did you guys go to New York City, Philadelphia, all these other cities that were considered capitals of the U.S. before Washington, D.C. was built and find other, you know, signs that uh, from the Freemasons and maybe some of the Venus families had left their mark? Well, Janet can tell you all about New York in particular. Yes, we did go to New York, and what brought us there was something called Cleopatra's Needle. Cleopatra's Needle is a real Egyptian obelisk, 
that is in Central Park, and it was erected behind the Metropolitan Museum of Art. It's beautiful, and it's... Oh, that is beautiful. And uh, we went there to see that because for one of the episodes of America Unearthed, the uh, writers, one of them had identified that that was something pretty amazing, and they wanted to do an episode on obelisks. And so we went there, and what found out was there was a, an article that had been published some years ago that supposedly there was a straight line formed by that obelisk at the north end of Manhattan going down through the city to the Worth Obelisk, which was placed some years before that, I think like in the 1850s. And that, that is a monument to, dedicated to General Worth. Hmm. And then all the way down to St. Paul's Chapel, which is down by Ground Zero. And St. Paul's Chapel is an amazing little building. It survived Ground Zero quite miraculously. I mean, it literally was at the foot of the towers. And that has an obelisk in it also that was placed in 1830. And normally obelisks are, you know, at grave sites and such. So that in itself wasn't that unusual. But there's nobody under this obelisk. Mm. It's dedicated to a man who's not buried there. <laughs> so... We found that a little strange. But what we realized, Alan and I and Scott, was when we looked at this on Google Earth, we realized that there was actually not quite a straight line between these three obelisks. Mm -hmm. There's a dog in the center. And we recognize that dog leg because anybody who has studied ancient um, monuments such as the pyramids and some of the giant henges where Alan is in England knows that they are often made for replicating Orion's belt. Oh, wow. Mm. And Orion's belt has a slight dog leg. Wow. So and sure enough, <laughs> go ahead, Alan. Just to add in, very close to where I live here in England, um, there are three giant henges. Now, a henge is a uh, a, a big circle with a ditch and a bank. In this case, so big that um, you could fit St. Paul's Cathedral inside each one of them. <laughs> and there are three of them, and they're more or less in a line, but with the dog leg in the center. And if you transpose uh, a, a scale picture of the three stars of Orion's Bell onto those hinges, the fit is absolutely perfect. Sorry, Janet. Carry on. No, that's that's good. That I was love, good. Well, and so, I, oh, go ahead. I'm go gonna, ahead, guys. Go ahead. You I'm going to ask you. Yes, I have a, a really good question based on what I just learned from both of you, and that is the so Washington D.C. was a city that was absolutely planned. You pointed that out beautifully, and they used the megalithic yard. Is that how you say it? Yes, that's it. And so in New York and the other parts of our country. Uh, that they were using for the capital here and there. That was none of these structures were built with the megalithic yard. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Although there are connections between certain places uh, using the megalithic yard, there's a very significant megalithic yard connection between the southernmost of the three uh, obelisks that Janet's talking about okay. and Washington D.C. Um, it's exactly three megalithic degrees of arc of the Earth's surface because this is a measuring system that is, uh, measures the whole Earth. So we knew we were onto something as soon as we found St. Paul's 
because of the way it connected with Washington DC. It, it's so stunning that we often sit back in our seats and can't believe it ourselves. But as we say over here, what can't speak can't lie. <laughs> right. Maths either works or it doesn't. Yeah, that's and in it. this case, it works extremely well. Well, I'm a big fan of like Machu Picchu and Peru and that sort of thing in all ancient civilizations. And there's a reason for the way they did what they did. And there's a purpose to it. And there's, in my opinion, I could be wrong because I'm not the expert, y'all. But most of the ancient civilizations have that balance to them. And what you're showing us with D.C. and the megalithic yard and how it's a planned city, it's got the balance to it in the, in the planning. Yes, it does. And, and as Alan mentioned, this megalithic yard, this, this system was based on a 366-degree circle instead of a 360-degree circle, which is why it fits with Earth, Mother Earth. It's mm. an Earth-centric measuring system. Wow. And why do you, why do you think they chose that exact location for DC? Was was there a reason that maybe during your research that it just fit to build everything there? With the one of the main reasons, I mean, there were practical reasons. Of course, right. they wanted to have a city which was between the northern and southern states. Mm -hmm. That was a practical reason, but the main astronomical reason seems to Janet and I to be the place on the horizon where the sun rises and sets on the two most important days of the year, which are the summer solstice in June and the winter solstice in December. Mm. Um, if you stand in Washington, D.C., uh, on the day of the summer solstice, for example, you will see that the sun rises at 60 degrees north of east, whereas at midwinter it rises at 60 degrees south of east. This is a unique location on, on the Earth, and only places at that latitude will give that effect. And that turned out to be very important to them symbolically, and uh, it's very important to Freemasonry as well, although even many Freemasons don't understand the connection. And t Janet, take us back there to, the, to that day when you were at the monument yes. doing your magic and alan bless his heart was back in the uk like a cat on hot tin roof <laughs> so how was the energy for you when you were having that experience what did you feel from the inside out oh it was it was really fantastic because it it, it brought me right back to the time of the founding fathers and and what they were trying to preserve here in addition to cutting their own cloth as a separate country from what had been countries that had always been controlled by monarchs. For for the first time, we had a, a free country run for the people by the people. Wow. And it, it gave me a tremendous sense of pride to see that they were actually trying to incorporate in a permanent way some of their their beliefs they were holding on to and had held on to so dearly through so many generations. And it, it was really fantastic. And I'll tell you, the, the thing that, that the moment that really got me was the next day when we went up inside the obelisk, the Washington Monument. And we stood looking out a window. And again, it was one of those cloudy, partly cloudy days. And we had not seen the sun at all for the, the last half hour we had been standing in that north-facing window. 
And Scott wandered away from the window, and I had a moment where I was just standing there by myself, and that the time that we needed the shadow to show itself had come and gone mm. by just a couple of minutes. And I, I looked out there, and I said, oh, come on, please just give me one little shadow glimpse. I just want to see it. And all of a sudden, like a ghostly apparition, it just appeared below wow. me. Wow. And, yeah, so wow. What, my this question was going to be, I, I believe in non-physical. I believe that we have loved ones on the other side. I believe in angels. I'm all, I'm all about that. But I'm also pretty grounded, too. My question is, don't you both actually feel like you had great, big, giant, non-physical powers that be that were perpetually moving you both to get this information out to the world? It happens all the time. You know, um, <laughs> because we try very hard in our books to stick to what we can prove to be factual, yes. that's what's written in our book most of the time. But Janet and I both are great believers in the feeling of a place. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a little Grange Hall not far from where Janet lives, and we got to go there one day, and the, the feeling of, of, of inclusion, the feeling of the, the feminine mother wrapping around you yes. when you go into that building is, is so potent that it, it's greater than anything I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. And the only time I ever felt the same feeling to the same intensity was one day the weather had been bad and we were all in Washington, D.C., all three of us, and we were driving down uh, in the early evening in the direction of the Capitol and the sun was setting and the Capitol was absolutely pink in the setting sun. And I hard to explain, guys, but I could have exploded... Yes. With the emotion of the situation and the feeling of power that came over us at that time. Mm-hmm. Well, I totally get that because when, you, when you're in the, that's what they call the twilight time in right. Hollywood. So the early morning or the late evening is like the twilight, the between world state. And the pink is a color that we associate with the feminine. And then the feeling that comes behind the energy of that becomes multiplied and activated. Mm. And so, of course, you're going to be bubbling over with all of that wonderful energy. Yeah, one of the most beautiful sights I've seen in my life. And I think it's worth reiterating from my side of the pond that what we are talking about here in terms of Washington, D.C., and indeed the United States as an independent entity, is is the bravest experiment that humanity has ever undertaken because nothing like it had ever happened before there was no king there was no emperor there was just people Mm. coming together in that community from a heart-centered space in the balance marrying the masculine and the feminine together and physical and non-physical together to keep the message on the planet and that golden thread you both talked about at the top you're both continuing the golden thread and i think our politicians need to read this book yeah well i, th- well, I know what they can do with the book but i don't think they'll read it well, they we, need to read we, it. Yeah, they need to read it. And I have to say, uh, this was a great show. Uh, something that everybody learned from. People yes. in the chat room learned from. They were asking great questions, and unfortunately, I didn't really get to ask those. But uh, thank you so much, both of you, for being on the show. We hope you come back again uh, for your next book. And and Alan, I know you have tons of books out there. And and Janet, do you have other books that you have written? 
No, I don't. I'm a first-time author. Well, and um, That's a good one thanks, to write. Thanks, thanks to Alan dragging me into it. <laughs> I said, Alan, I've never done this before. That's okay. We can do it, Janet. Oh, yeah, that's we fun. Did. I well, love good. that. Well, I love that, and that's a great <laughs> encourager right there. And, and like you said, Alan has tons of books out, out there, and I'd love to have you back, Alan, to talk about some of your other books uh, that you well, have. Well, I'd love to be with you. It's been the most tremendous pleasure, guys. Oh, oh please, thank you so please. much. We appreciate and, that. And Eddie, tell them where they can go uh, check you, it out. You can go to the you go to nationofthegoddess.com, and then you can find out more about their book, America, which is America, Nation of the Goddess. And we appreciate you guys. And uh, if you guys missed the show, turned away, tuned in halfway through, please go to our YouTube channel at Truth Be Told with Tony and Eddie. Subscribe there, watch it, and leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, listen to us on iHeartRadio, on YouTube, uh, on iTunes, Stitcher, all the places you can listen to podcasts. And we hope you guys support these beautiful people here because uh, great, great, great research, and uh, it's it's changing people's lives. So yeah, and we need to know this information. We do, we do. All right. Well, well, thank you guys so much, and come back and see us. Oh, we will. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. All right, take care. Great pleasure. All right, thank you. All right, guys. Well, it is time for us to say goodbye to all of our company. I know. Uh, but anyway, that was great, Eddie. Uh, thank you. Had some great questions. Great, great questions. Oh, and, thank you. Well, I love that when I see you click into the intuitive. Uh, mode. They're so easy to click into because yeah. they're both equally passionate. They're both equally balanced in their male and female energy. And of True. course, we love learning here. Yeah, that's that's what it's all about. I, like I said, I'm not an expert. I'm an enthusiast. Eddie is an expert in a lot of things, but but uh, you know, it's all about walking away and figuring out. You know, there's something inside of us that we can do. Like Janet said, I've never wrote a book before. I know. And then she went out and learned so much for herself. So yeah. you know, go out and write your book. Write a book. All right. Well. Well, we're out of here. Go to truthbetoldwebtv.com. Find out who's coming up next week, the week after, whenever. And again, suggest any of our uh, upcoming guests. you have somebody? Let us know. Yeah, tell All us. Right. Subscribe to our newsletter. All right, we're out of here. We hope you had a great uh, time, and uh, we'll see you next time on Truth Be Told with Tony and Eddie. I'm Tony Sweet. I'm Eddie Connor. We're out. Bye, y'all.